family, you're finding the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5, we'll begin to read in verse number 6. And for a few moments this morning, listen to me. I want to speak on this subject. What is Easter really about? What is Easter really about? Romans chapter 5, we'll begin to read in verse 6. I'll invite you to stand this morning, all those that can and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's word. We're in Romans chapter 5, begin to read in verse number 6. The Bible says these words, For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit, God, I pray, would do the job that only he can do in this place today. And Father, I pray that is to convict of sin, of righteousness, and judgment to come. And God, it's my prayer this morning, no, no matter the reason, and no, no matter, not just because of the occasion, but if there's someone here this morning, that God, if they died today, they would go to hell because there's never been a moment in their life where they truly have turned from their sin and bowed their knee to Christ's lordship over their life. God, I pray that this would be the day that they would turn and receive Jesus to be Lord of them. And Father, I pray that you'll convict our church. You'll challenge us and burden us. God, you will strip away what we've allowed the devil to put in us, and that's apathy and indifference towards lostness. And God, I pray that you will find us faithfully, faithfully doing what you've called us to do. In your absence, till you come again for us, and that's to live on mission and share the message of the hope that can only be found in Jesus Christ. God, I simply ask this as we come to a time of invitation, whatever you desire to do in hearts and lives, that God will bow our knee to it today, and your will will be done. It's in Christ's name we ask these things. Amen. And I invite you to be seated. You know, arguably, um, the book of Romans uh, is, is probably the most concise work on salvation in all the Bible. The Apostle Paul wrote it to the church. And you know, you've got to be careful when you use that, that word in the day in which we're living. I saw the other day uh, an article, uh, it was about Catholicism, and there's a movie that had been made about some guy who had become, became a, a priest. And I don't even know what the movie's about, but it was just an article. It was talking about practicing and, and non-practicing Catholics. But I want to tell you what we have here in the South. We have a lot of practicing and non-practicing Baptists. It's individuals who have tied themselves to a church. They profess themselves to be a Baptist, but they've never been born again. There's never been a moment where they've repented and trusted Jesus to be Lord of their life. And so when Paul was writing to the church in Rome, it's not just the people who joined during Bible school or came forward and just simply signed a card. It's those who had responded to the gospel. It's those who had turned from sin and by faith trusted Jesus to be Lord of their life. And so in the day 
when there's so much different disinformation being broadcast through man, just so many different mediums now uh, that the world has to give us you know, information that's not true. We need to remind ourselves what the Bible has to say about Easter and what Christ accomplished for all mankind. Uh, Brother in Christ was sharing with me uh, earlier this morning here at the church that he had seen an interview uh, earlier in the week uh, where someone had gone to a college campus and they were interviewing college students about wh what Easter was, what's significant about Easter. And the majority of those being interviewed, listen, at a place of higher learning, they couldn't even give the biblical definition of why we celebrate Easter. And so we need to return today to God's Word, and we need to remind ourselves of what Easter is really all about. Romans chapter 5 details four great truths about what Easter is is really all about. Notice with me this morning that in the Bible, Romans chapter 5. First off, I want you to notice now a damning decree. A damning decree. That's Easter. Easter, first off, is about some bad news. There's a damning decree that God makes about all people. Look what the Bible says in verse number 6. Now, the Apostle Paul's speaking to people who've been saved, but he's talking now about who they were before they met Christ. Look at verse 6. He says, For when we were still without strength, and that's how all people are who don't have the presence of Christ in their life. I don't care how much you know, how strong your bank account is, how strong your 401 retirement uh, you know, portfolio is. None of those things matter to, to God. Without the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, the Bible says we're without spiritual strength. As a matter of fact, Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, and he's speaking to, to those who have been saved, but he reminds them before they got saved who they were. He says, you were dead in trespasses and sin. Friend, I want to remind you, a dead person can't do anything. They are without strength. And that's how all people are who have never been saved. They have no spiritual strength. Look what the Bible continues to say in verse number 6. He says, for when we were without strength in due time, Christ died, and here, notice the adjective about this. He says, for the ungodly. That's the opposite of godly. Everything that God is in His holiness without Christ, we're not. It's the absolute, complete opposite. That's who God says we're. And so it doesn't matter how much religion you have, how much self-worth, how much good. When God looks at us without the presence of Christ in our lives, He sees us as ungodly, the absolute opposite of Him. Look what else he continues to say about us in verse number 8. It says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were sinners. That's, the, that's what the Bible says about us. Without Christ, we're sinners. You say, well, what's the definition of a, of a sinner? Well, I'll ask you a couple questions. You know, we say, well, this, you know, this guy's a fisherman. What, what makes him a fisherman? He fishes. You say, well, this guy's, you know, he's a, he's a great hunter. What makes him a hunter? He hunts. So, man, I'll tell you what, this lady, she's got a green thumb. She's a real gardener. What makes her a gardener? She gardens. You know, boy, this, this, well, see, I won't be sexist here. This guy, he loves to shop. See how I did that? <laughs> Throw the ladies there in the bus. He's a real shopper. What makes him a shopper? He goes and shops. What makes us a sinner? We sin. There's the, there's the presence of sin in our life. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned. That's everybody. 
I don't care how good you think you are, how Baptist you've been, no matter what denomination you were born in, I don't care how, how great of a deacon your dad was, how many years your, your mother taught Sunday school, how, how great your grandfather was as a pastor, none of those things matter. The Bible says we're all born sinners. Isaiah 59 two says your sin has separated you from God because he is holy. And so the Bible, the Bible says that from us. Romans chapter 6 and verse 16, the Bible says we're slaves to sin. It's not heredity, it's not DNA, it's, it's, it's sin. It was passed to us, we all, we all have that. And notice what the Bible continues to say in verse number 10. The Bible says, for if when we were enemies, we were enemies. The Bible says, friend, because of the presence of sin in our life, and don't miss this, the absence of Christ. And his righteousness, no matter how religious you are, the Bible says you are an enemy of God. You're an enemy. I didn't say that, friend. The Bible says that. The Bible says that's, that's, who, that's a damning decree that we're enemies of God. Luke chapter 19, verse 27, two weeks ago we preached a parable before the palms. And Jesus gave a parable, but it represents a great truth that will happen. In Revelation chapter 20, I want you to listen to me this morning. The Bible says, friend, there will come a day when Christ will bring all of those who would not receive him to be Lord of their life and will slay them and cast them into a place called hell because they were his enemies. They would not receive him to be Lord of their life and therefore they stayed enemies. And look what the Bible says in verse number 9. Much more than having now been justified through his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. The Bible says that all sinners who will not receive Christ's forgiveness and his lordship over their life, friend, there is wrath that they're going to experience one day. The Bible teaches that very clearly. Luke chapter 16, Revelation chapter 20. They'll experience an eternal death, the Bible says, friend. And I realize this word is not in vogue, but friend, it's still true in the word of God, and therefore it's true. There's a place called hell where the fire is never quenched. Life will never stop. And it's where all people will be doomed and damned who will not receive Jesus Christ to be Lord of their life. There's no one who is predestinated to go there, friend. The only people who are going there are those who will not return and receive God's forgiveness. That's a damning decree. And Easter tells us that. That's why Christ died. That's why he rose again. That's why there's good news. And so the message of Easter, it starts off with bad news. That all have sinned, all are lost, all have been decreed damned by God if they will not repent and receive him to be Lord of their life. Second, I want you to notice now, the second thing that we need to remind ourselves of what Easter is all about is a demonstrated devotion. And when I'm talking about devotion, I'm talking about love. It's not the love that a boyfriend has for his girlfriend, or a man has for his dog. Friend, I want to tell you, it's not the, the, devotion, the kind of love and devotion that a husband has for his wife. And you hear that precious little baby? It's not even the kind of love that a mother has for a child. It's the only kind of love that a holy God can have for a sinful world. Easter reminds us of that, that there's a demonstrated devotion. John chapter 3, verse 16 says this, For God so loved the world. Now, I want you to listen. You can insert your name there. For God so loved Chad. Quietly, I want you to say that with me. For God so loved, say your name. God so loved you. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You know, we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate the birth of that little baby. And there in that manger, that, there were sounds just like you're hearing right now from Cooper. That little bitty baby that laid there in that manger. Friend, listen, 33 and one half years later, God the Father would allow his son to hang on a cross and die for a sinner just like me and you. Easter reminds us of that, that there's a demonstrated devotion. You know, a lot of times when we watch movies, I like a, I like a good cowboy movie, especially if it's got good scenery in the background. Now, now worldliness is out. But I like, INSP makes some good cowboy movies every, every now and then. To me, commercials, you know it's geared toward retirees because they're selling the jitterbug every other commercial. <laughs> or one of those bathtubs you can walk in and out the side of. But I like a good cowboy movie. You know, and then every now and then you'll be following along in the story, and all of a sudden something will happen. Listen, there'll be a plot twist, right? And you'll say, man, I didn't see that coming. I didn't see that coming. You know, Genesis chapter 3, Genesis 1 and 2 are accounts of six days of literal 24-hour period, days of creation. But then on Genesis chapter 3, we see a picture of life in the garden. The Bible says there, the serpent was more subtle than he'd be so filled, the Lord God created. So there Adam and Eve are in the garden. And here comes Satan one day. And he beguiles Eve to sin. Adam willingly does it. The Bible says their eyes were open. They knew they were naked. They're, they're all of a sudden, they're hiding in the bushes, trying to clothe themselves with fig leaves. Aprons made of fig leaves. And the Bible says that God comes in the cool of the day to spend time with his creation so that they can worship him. And that's simply what worship is, enjoying the presence of God. But now they're separated from God because now there's sin. And God begins to cry out and says, Adam, where are you? Friend, listen, God knew where Adam was. But Adam needed to think about where he had fallen to. Listen to me. When God found out where Adam was and what had happened, it wasn't a plot twist for God. Listen, God didn't say, well, man, I didn't see that coming. God knew, friend, before Genesis 1-1, before he ever said, let there be, he knew in his omniscience exactly what Adam would do. He knew the sin that you would commit. And that's why in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, he began to reveal a plan, his plan, where 4,000 years later at a place called Calvary, his son, Jesus Christ, would die as our sin substitute. And God turned his back, friend, not on Christ the Son, but on his sin. He turned from his sin that was cast upon him. He who knew no sin was made sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. How could God allow his holy son to die for a thing worthless as I am? Because he loves me and he loves you. Easter reminds us of a demonstrated devotion. Look what the Bible says in verse number 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And friends, again, you need to personalize that. God demonstrates his own love toward you. Now, I don't care what you've done, how far in sin's barrel, friend, you have sunk, how depraved and how broken your life is. God loves you. He sent Christ to die for you. 
He has demonstrated that. Not said, not just spoken, not just written His love for you. He demonstrated it. That He sent Christ to die for you. Third Easter reminds us, friend, not only is there a damning decree that demonstrated devotion, but thanks be to God, there is a delivering dedication. There's a delivering dedication. Look what the Bible says again in verse number 6. For when we were still without strength, notice these three words, in due time. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That means right on time. Listen to me, friend. God is always right on time. Any of you know anybody that's just always late? We have some people like that in our church family. They're always... They're always late. It's Easter, and I'm going to show grace, and I'm not going to say any names this morning. But their face is turning red now. I hope he doesn't say it this morning on Easter Sunday. And I won't. But friend, listen, God's not like that. He's always right on time. The Bible says in verse, For when we were still sinners, in due strength, in, without strength, in due time. That means right on time. God sent Christ. Galatians 4.4, 4, in the fullness of time, Christ was born. Well, what's the fullness of time mean? Right on time. God wasn't a second late. He wasn't a second ahead. It, he, was, he was right on time. Well, when did Jesus show up to raise Lazarus from the dead? John chapter 11. His whole fam- Lazarus' whole family was said, man, you've shown up too late. But when did Jesus show up? Right on time. He was, he was right on time. When did Jesus die for our sins? Right on time, friend. Not a second before, not a second after. When did he rise from the grave? Right on time. Some of you are going through a trial right now. You're facing a hardship and a difficulty that is beyond your grasp and your fixing. It's out of your control. It's something that's not dependent upon the decision of another person. It's just something that's facing you, and you can't fix it. And you're praying, and you're seeking God's will. You've made sure there's no unconfessed sin in your life. And, and still yet, you've got this challenge. And you're wondering, when's God going to move? Friend, I want to remind you, when's God going to move in this situation? Right on time. Be encouraged in that, friend. He's never too early, and he's never too late. We sang about the great hope we have, that Jesus is coming again. Friend, this world's falling apart. It's dark. I'm ready for Jesus to come back. But when's Jesus going to come back? Right on time. Right on time. So be encouraged in that this morning. Easter reminds us of that. God always shows up right on time. When we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. He's always right on time. But notice those truths again. We're talking about delivering dedication. Verse 6, Christ died. And friend, listen, contrary to all that the liberals think and the unbelievers, friend, listen, he didn't swoon, he didn't pass out, he died. He died. The wages of sin is death. Christ was our sin substitute. God cast upon Jesus the penalty of us all, and therefore he died. The Bible says in verse number 8, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He was our sin substitute. Verse 9, look what the Bible says. Much more than having now been justified by his blood. 
Brent, he didn't just prick his finger. You know, he didn't just have just a small boo-boo. His hands and his feet were pierced. His side was pierced. All of the blood ran out and then all of the water. Friend, he bled till he died. Leviticus 17, 11 says, The life of the flesh is in the blood. When all the blood's gone, you're gone. And he died. He died. It was, it was a delivering dedication. Verse number 7 says, notice this though. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man some will even dare to die. Oftentimes there'll be stories that, you know, after the person has died, we will we'll celebrate and acknowledge the sacrifice of that soldier, of that, this, that first responder who, who made the ultimate sacrifice that someone might, might live. And we'll talk about their life, but we never talk really about the life of the person. Friend, I want to tell you, when Jesus died, he didn't die for one of his buddies, like a soldier. The Bible says, friend, go back to our first point. He died for someone that was absolutely worthless. We were sinners. We were still lost. He died for people that he knew, and his omniscience would mock him, would reject him, would laugh at him, would scorn him, would sit in services just like this with their arms crossed and say, I'll never trust Jesus to be Lord of my life. How foolish and how stupid. And still yet he died. Still yet he died. A delivering dedication. He died for a no account like me and for you. Why? Listen to me. Because he saw what you could be in him. God just doesn't see who you are. Listen to me this morning. He sees who you can be. When His Spirit lives within your heart and you yield yourself to His Lordship and to His Word. Jeremiah chapter 18, God sent Jeremiah down to a potter's house. And there the potter was, friend, was, was working a piece of clay that had been marred. It was worthless as it stood. But the potter began to shape into something that was functional. Something that can be used. And God said through Jeremiah to the nation of Israel, O house of Israel, could I not do the same with you if you would only yield yourself to me? He said, I would rework you into something that is useful. I'm telling you, friend, this morning, I don't care how bad sin has marred and broken your life. If you'll only place yourself today through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, He will begin to shape you and to make you into the masterpiece that He wants you to be. And he'll do something in you and through you, and listen to this, and in spite of you. He'll do it. A delivering dedication. What are, what are we talking about, dedication? You know, our modern definition of committed and dedicated is now grounded in one single word, convenience. Convenience. Listen to me. Our definition of dedication is marked by convenience. I'm dedicated to something just as long as it benefits me and so long as it does, and it's convenient. But when it's no longer convenient, I'm not dedicated to it anymore. Friend, I want to tell you something. It wasn't convenient for Jesus Christ to have the sin of the world cast upon him. It wasn't convenient for Jesus to be scourged like a common thief. It wasn't convenient for Jesus to have a crown of thorns placed upon him and mocked, spat upon, to have his beard ripped out of his face. It wasn't convenient for him to be nailed to a cross and hung between two common thieves. It wasn't convenient 
But he did it because he was dedicated to the will of God. The Bible says in John chapter 19 and verse 30 that after he had finished it all, he declared that. He says, it is finished. And then he died. Do you know what those words mean literally in the Greek? Listen to me. Dedicated. Dedicated. Friend, listen. Jesus wasn't half in. He was all in. He was nailed all to the cross because he loves you and because he loves me. Easter reminds us of that, friend, of his delivering dedication. It's through his sacrifice, friend, that we can experience the righteousness of God in him. A delivering dedication. Now, fourth, notice this, and I close this morning. Stay with me. I want you to notice a delightful declaration. We started with bad news, right? Well, the gospel literally means good news. There's, there's good news in this. The bad news is sinners are damned and sinners are doomed. But listen to me. The good news is God saves sinners. That's good news. God saves sinners. Bad news, lost people go to hell. Good news, God saves sinners. It's a delightful declaration. Look what the Bible says in verse number 9. Here's some things the Bible says about us when we turn, that's repentance, and then when we by faith believe that he died, Romans 10, 9 and 10, that he rose again, and don't miss this part, listen to me, if you're listening, say amen. amen. And we trust him to be Lord of our life. We trust him to be Lord. Listen to what the Bible says about us when we do that. Verse number 9. Much more than having now been justified by his blood. What's that word justified mean? It means, friend, when, when we have an account that we can't pay, there's no way to pay it. What's our account? It's our sin. We've got nothing to pay for it with because we have no righteousness. But Jesus was our righteous sin substitute, and he paid for our sin in his own body. And so when we repent of our sin, listen, we, we become justified before God. Several years ago, uh, Melissa and I, we bought us a little aluminum boat. We'd saved up enough to make a little down payment. We both loved to fish. And so we, we saved up a little 18-foot CR aluminum boat. Still got it today. And we're so proud of that thing. And so we began, we, 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 we got a loan for it. It was a small little payment every month. Um, but I'll never forget five years after our, you know, our loan was over, the bank sent me this, this, this piece of paper and it had my signature at the bottom. You know, it was a contract for the loan. And there was, there was a big stamp across the middle and it said this, paid in full. That means, listen, what I owed to the bank, the says, it had been justified. It was just as if I had never borrowed the money. We had settled up, listen, when Jesus died on the cross, he made a way, listen, that you and I could be justified. To when God looks at us, he doesn't see the count of our sin, what we owe. He sees what Christ has paid for us. That's good news. That's a delightful declaration. Notice what else the Bible has to say about us. That what's Easter all about? Much more having now been justified by us, but we shall be saved from wrath through him. Listen, the bad news is, the, the dreadful declaration, the decree... That lost people go to hell and experience God's wrath. But when you repent and trust Jesus to be Lord of your life, friend, listen, you get saved. You don't have to go to hell. You get to go to heaven one day. 
and be with Jesus for all eternity. And that's good news. That's good news. The Bible also says in verse number 10, for when we were enemies, we were reconciled now. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We were enemies, the Bible says, but now we've been reconciled. Well, again, what is it that stood between us? Stay with me. Isaiah 59, 2 says, your sin has separated you from God. Christ died for our sin. When we repent and trust Jesus to be Lord of our life, friend, listen, we've been justified. It's just as if it never happened. And so when we were enemies and strangers, now we have fellowship. Now we've been reconciled. Now we're no longer an enemy, God. Listen to this. I'm his child. I've been born again into the family of God. And that's good news. The Bible says we've been, we've been saved from death. The Bible says in verse number 10, Safe from eternal death in a place called hell. Not only that, friend, we've been saved by his life. Verse number 10 says, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having now been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Well, I thought he died. Well, he did. But three days later, listen, God was the ultimate party pooper for Satan. For three days, friend, all of hell had a party. They had a hoorah. I mean, they were having the time. They thought, he's dead. We've been trying for 33 years to get rid of him. At the beginning of his ministry, three years ago, we tried to tempt him. All he kept saying was the word of God. He told me to depart. I had to depart. Now he's dead. But on the third and appointed day, friend, victoriously, he woke, up, woke out of the grave. So it's not just by his death we're saved. It's by his life because he lives. We can face tomorrow. There's a better day that's coming because of his life. And the Bible says in verse number 11, and not only that, he just keep, Paul just, Paul's just so full of the Holy Spirit, he just keeps telling good news. He says, and, and not only that, look at your Bibles, but we also rejoice in God. Now the first point, listen, it was all doom and gloom. It was bad news. He said, but now there's joy. He said, now there's rejoicing in God. Why? Through, through emotion? You know, because I joined the church? You know, because I bought a Bible? Because I put a Jesus fish on the back of my car? No. And not only that, but we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, the rejoicing that we're able to have now, where there was no rejoicing, I mean, what's there to be excited about dying and going to hell over? He says, but now there's rejoicing in God through Jesus Christ. He says, we've got joy now. He said, I was once an enemy, but now I've been reconciled. Now I've been reconciled. He said, that, and that's, that's good news. That's good news. good friend of mine, his wife's really sick. His name's Chris Wells. I want you to pray for Pam Wells this morning. He's an evangelist. And he interviewed uh, a fisherman. Some of you will know. Some of you won't know him from Adam's house. But his name's Hank Parker. He interviewed Hank Parker a few weeks ago for his podcast that he does, Well-Spoken Ministries. And I sent it to several of my friends. I sent it to our deacons. But Chris was interviewing Hank Parker. And Hank had once been just a lost, 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 lost individual. He was the son of a drunk. 
but his daddy got saved. His daddy tried to lead Hank to Christ, and Hank just wanted to keep living the life of a party. And Hank's daddy died, but he left a letter in his Bible that says, if I die, I want the gospel to be preached at my funeral because I have two sons that aren't saved. But he said something that his daddy used to say, and I see it this morning. I saw it from the choir loft, and I see that I've been preaching this morning. I want you to listen to me, listen. The gospel of Jesus Christ will bear three responses. You'll be either glad, and it's because you've received it or you want to receive it. You'll be mad, which some of you are. You're mad you're here. You're mad at what the Bible says about you. You're mad when you hear the word hell, and it just makes you mad. And you're ready for the service to be over. And some of you will be sad. Mad, sad, and glad. You're sad because you want to be saved. You know you need to be saved. But you've got a life of sin that you're not willing to let go of. And it makes you sad. You see, those who are glad and have received Christ and will, they're one day, friend, going to die, and we're all going to, and we're going to go to heaven. Not because of us, but all because of Jesus. But everybody that's mad... And everybody that said, the Bible says this, you will die and burn in hell for all eternity. And here's the reason why, friend. This is what Easter teaches. It's because you will not let go of your sin and bow your knee to Christ's lordship. Last night, my wife put two little baskets together. We still do it. And she put it in the floor in there in front of the TV. And this morning, she got up early. And she went in there and put some little eggs and some little doodads in there. And when the kids got up this morning, we'd made them a little Easter basket. But I want you to understand this. And I'm not trying to be funny. I'm trying to, to, to make a point. We didn't put them in a headlock and drag them in there and say, you, you take that basket. They had to choose to get up and go receive the gift that we had provided for them. Romans 6.23 says this, and I close. For the wages of sin is death, but The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want you to listen to me this morning. Listen. Are you listening? God loves you. He sent Christ to die in your place because you're a sinner. And your sin's going to send you straight to a place called hell for all eternity. I don't care how many churches you've been a member of, how Baptist you are, none of it matters. None of it matters. If you won't turn from your sin and choose to and by faith receive God's free gift of salvation, you will one day burn in the fires of hell for all eternity. And here's the sad part. You didn't have to go because God loves you and he made a way for you to escape. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Now listen, this is where everybody checks out. Don't. Do it. Church family, would you not be still and begin to pray? Pray for the one who's in front of you, behind you, maybe beside you, that's never been saved. The Bible says who we are. We're lost in our sin. 
That's why Christ came. That's what Easter's about. That's why He died. He died in your place. He rose from the grave. That's God's stamp of approval that He accepted what Jesus did for you. Now, I want to ask you a question. Has there ever been a moment where you have turned from your sin? What does it mean to turn from sin? What's well, a word the Bible calls repent? Three things are involved. You have to agree with God. You have to concur with God that you're a sinner. The Bible says you are. And friend, you've got to own it. You've got to say, that's me. And then, friend, secondly, you've got to confess your sin. Say, God, this is my sin. And then, my friend, you've got to want to change direction. I want to tell you what direction you were born in and you're heading in today if you've never been saved. You're heading straight to hell. If you want to be saved, you've got to choose to turn from that direction you being Lord over your life and turn to Jesus today. And as you do that, by faith, trust Him today that He died for you, that He rose again. And listen, you've got to call upon Him to be Lord of your life. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So can you ever identify a moment where you've really done that? You've really trusted Jesus to be Lord of your life? And friend, if you haven't, you're lost today. And I want to share this with you, friend. I'm not trying to scare you, but I'm trying to be truthful with you today. The Bible says, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for you not know what the day will bring. This may be the last day you ever have to trust Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life. So if you're not saved, you're still not reconciled, you're still an enemy of God. Won't you turn and receive His free gift to you? He paid for it. All you have to do is turn and by faith receive Him today. Tell Him so right now where you sit quietly where you sit. Friend, listen, pray this straight to his heart today. He's waiting to hear from you. Pray just like this. God, forgive me a sinner. I admit I'm a sinner. I confess my sin. God, I want to I turn from the direction I'm going. I don't want this life anymore. I'm so tired of being sick and tired. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he rose from the grave. And I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. That's my prayer today. Now, heads are bowed and their eyes are closed. Listen, if you prayed that, I'm going to ask you to do something in just a minute. And it's going to take some courage. It's going to take some boldness. But boy, didn't Jesus exercise some to go hang on the cross and die in your place. When they begin to sing in just a moment, if you prayed that prayer and you've trusted Christ today to be Lord of your life, I'm going to ask you to step out into one of these aisles and make your way forward so I can encourage you. I want to talk to you and tell you what God wants to do next in your life. I want to encourage you in your decision. Church family, how many people live near you, beside you, you have contact with every day? They're just like those college students that were interviewed. They have no clue what Easter is really all about. If they died today, they'd go to hell. Pray today. Pray in this service that God would break your heart and burden your heart for the lostness that's around you every day and to go share the good news that Christ died, Christ rose, and we can be reconciled and justified in Him. Father, I pray You'll speak Your will to our hearts. Lord, I pray if there's still someone here who's not bowed their knee to you, God, make them miserable. God, I mean, do everything, God, short of killing them. 
God, until they turn and trust you. Have your way during this invitation. I pray you'll be glorified through our obedience. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Let's reverently stand our feet.